Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hey, TSF family. Here is our second Between the Season bonus in which we are replaying reflections on the drama triangle with some important updates. Enjoy. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Lutze. Hi everyone, Chris Wiltsy here. And I wanted to do a quick introduction in this episode on Reflections on the Drama Triangle, which does a really good job of summing up the drama triangle that we discuss in all of season two. And I want to do it through the context of our tagline, which is there is nothing to fix. When we say there's nothing to fix, we are referring to what we've said in the past as the four levels of reality. Those four levels of reality are the apparent reality, which is the first level, which is everything that you experience on a day-to-day basis in the physical realm. The two subtle realms that exist above that, one which is the kind of conscious mind, and then the one above that, which is the subconscious mind and all the energy fields that are surrounding both conscious and subconscious. And then that fourth layer is the ultimate reality, right? Which is the ultimate truth of why we're here and everything that we do. When we talk about there is nothing to fix, we are directly talking about the ultimate level of reality. We are talking about how when we go up to that true level of source, there is nothing to fix. But What I've noticed and one of the comments that you'll hear at the end of the episode that I have added into the outro in our discussion about the drama triangle is that there is nothing to fix if taken from the level of apparent reality can really come across the wrong way because there is plenty to fix on the apparent reality. There are injustices. There is needless suffering. There are so many things that go on in the apparent reality that do need to be fixed and that you don't have control over. And so I just wanted to say that before we get into this episode to really make that clear that we are definitely talking about the different levels of reality when we talk about there is nothing to fix. So so I encourage you to listen to the episode, maybe remind yourself of the drama triangle. And then at the end, I've added comments on in which I talk more about the systemic drama triangles that we have in our reality, um, especially in America but I know that they exist all over the world and kind of adding that into the, into the mix of the conversation. 
Good morning, Christina. <laughs> good morning, Anna. <laughs> and good morning to, or good evening to all of our listeners. We are actually recording today from a lake house in the mountains of Georgia. So there might be more ambient sounds than you're normally used to. Yeah, so take it as a sound bath. It is a sound bath in which you can hear the cicadas. You hear those cicadas? You might hear a boat in the background. And you might hear my dog do his death cough. And I assure you, I have gotten second opinions, and it is not he's not actually dying, but it might sound like he is. So please, rest assured, everything's okay over here. <laughs> everything's okay, and enjoy it. All right, moving right along. Today, <laughs> the topic of today's podcast is something near and dear to our hearts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It is part five now of the drama triangle. No, I'm kidding. It's not part five because we officially just did four. Yeah, we just did four, but we had some technical issues this morning. And as we were having them, which always happens, and I will make a request right now to Archangel Michael or whomever that can we please, please, please not have technical things and we will do better at listening. And I will do better at listening because this oh, morning. Oh, I love the technical difficulties. Do you? Yeah, because to me, they're just like big, rag, like big. It's like, to me, it's Archangel Michael waving his, his hands like a traffic <laughs> cop. Stop. We were going to record a different episode and then we got very clear indications that we need to revisit the drama triangle. Yeah. Yeah. And we're just going to follow that advice. Yep. So we're just going to show you guys where we are now because in, if you have had a chance to listen to it, you will know that this work, along with the wounds work, but this work is stuff that can seriously change your life yeah. in, in just every single way. And it takes a lot. Like it's, it's, really, it's really turned my world upside down in a good way, but also in a very self-reflective way that has made me recognize, like, <laughs> I've been listening to Peter Pan recently, which is hilarious because, you know, he's like, I won't grow up. <laughs> and uh -huh. that's kind of what I feel like the drama triangle that we've talked about before is when you kind of get in arrested development where you stop on the spectrum of individuation and you stop somewhere in that process and you don't reach cooperation in all aspects of your being. And you don't grow up like you're emotionally immature. And so I just think it's funny that I've been listening to Peter Pan being like, I won't grow up. I don't want to go to, <laughs> I will be a boy forever. <laughs> I think there's a part of my subconscious that feels that way. Uh-huh. What about you, Anna? How's it been going for you? For me, it's interesting because just yesterday I was listening to a lecture about hypnosis and spirituality. And it was saying that when you're like working with electricity, the more resistance in the wire, the less energy can flow through the wire. And the less resistance in the wire means more energy can flow. And I can say that having had done the primal wounds last year and this year, and then working on the drama triangle, I feel like there is very little, much, much, much significant resistance in my brain. Um, I think a majority of any stress or conflict in my life was either coming from the primal wounds or the drama triangle. And as we referenced before, the primal wound is the piano and the drama triangle are the keys you play kind of thing. So it's, they're all kind of part of the whole. But since doing this work and since really shedding my attachment and resistance to the drama triangle, my psychic abilities have gotten exponentially stronger. Like, like they are getting extremely clear. And I think it's because there's less congestion in my brain because there's less resistance trapped up with drama conflict and wounds so I'm just been loving the space that I've been in 
where I feel very, very psychically in tuned mm -hmm. and getting very cl cl even clear messages and visions than I did before. So I'm loving it. And I think that anyone listening, you know, a lot of people are like on our TikToks are like, how can I be more psychic? Can you like give us some hints to like how to become more psychic? The truth is, if you want to be more psychic or more intuitive, one of the best things you can do is your shadow work. Because as you heal and purge the parts of you that are resisting the flow of life, energy just flows through you more. And I just feel like you're way more adept to be, to, to, to hone back into those things you were born with. Yeah. And that's, and that's what, in yoga, the work that you do in yoga is you do the karmic work, right? You do the karma yoga, you do all the work that basically, you know, the asanas, the physical aspect of the, the different branches of yoga. So hatha yoga is all about preparing the body to sit for long periods of time, right? To remove physical blockages in the body so that you can sit down and you can do whatever you want um, for long periods of time. And then you also have other types of yoga, such as karma yoga and things like that, that are more of the shadow work that, again, all prepare you to get into the state of samadhi and then to also receive the cities. And the cities, for those of y'all who haven't heard, is like the cities are basically the intuitive abilities. Gifts. Yeah. So even in these ancient practices, they're recognizing the same things, that there are things that you do to prepare yourself for the cities. And you're not preparing yourself for the cities. Yeah, the, the cities, cities happens, are a byproduct. That, yeah, they're a byproduct. But there are things that you do to prepare yourself for samadhi and for higher states of union with God or with universe or with the oneness. And all those things are necessary in order to have a more ecstatic and blissful experience and a more prolonged experience of samadhi. And right. a samadhi, just so you know, is a very deep, heightened state of consciousness. Right. Probably it's a it's the gamma brain waves, if we want to be science about it, maybe. We're, we're not quite sure. Yeah. Going back to what you were saying about the cities, this is just a little side note, little fun fact that my husband's guru said, if you ever have a dream that a snake bites you, it means you're going to be given a city because the snake in a dream represents wisdom and the kundalini. And if a snake bites you you will be gifted soon with a city. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. My daughter had a dream about a snake this week. Did he bite her? You want the snake to bite you in the dream. It was, she was very much so trying to, she loved the snake and she was telling me all about it in the middle of the night. She was telling me all about like how amazing the snake was and she was talking to me. She just was like enamored with the snake. She like loved it. I love it. Yeah. So I'm going to give a very funny example of how the drama triangle has changed my life. And for those of you listening, it might not seem like a big deal, but to me and the ramifications it has on my relationship and my marriage, it is a huge deal. So let's preface this with going back two weeks ago was my birthday weekend and a really good friend of mine was coming up to visit and I cleaned the guest room very nicely and he knew this. My husband knew that I had cleaned the guest room to prepare for her. And my husband also knows that we have an informal rule in the house. Well, it's a, it's a strong rule with the children that they're not allowed to eat anywhere but the kitchen. And it's just kind of, it's a kind of unspoken rule that grown-ups will follow that rule too, but it's never been like official. So I'm getting ready for my friend to come. I, I clean the house. I wake up the next morning to go check on her room because I just... I just want to make sure, like, no dot, the puppy didn't have an accident in there, you know, like, I just wanted to, like, you know, give it a second look, and lo and behold, I find on the bed and the nightstand a crumpled bag, no, not even a crumpled bag, sorry, I find Dorito crumbs, 
crumbs of Dorito chips sprinkling the bedside table. So what happened was my husband, after I went to bed, he went into that room and he must have been watching a movie um, not to wake me. So he was laying in that bed and he must have eaten a bag of Doritos and he left some crumbs behind. When I saw the Dorito crumbs, I saw red for a moment, okay? I My first thought was, why the fuck did he eat chips in the bedroom? Why the fuck would he leave make a mess when he knew I spent all this hard work on this? Why the fuck would there be Dorito crumbs in the guest room when my friend's coming? Like, I immediately went into my normal state of mind, which was, I'm a victim. Boo-hoo, poor Anna. She worked so hard to clean this house, and she's unrecognized. Okay, so I had the victim consciousness going on for a minute. And then I immediately shifted to perpetrator where I was like, he is a pig. He is messy. Like, he is inconsiderate. How could he possibly eat Dorito chips in this bedroom? So, like, I instantly shifted the drama triangle to perpetrator where I was villainizing him for eating Dorito chips. Mm -hmm. And then right there, I stopped in my tracks. And I was like, Anna, it is your birthday. You've done so good not being in the drama triangle, like, all month. By the way, it was also my PMDD um, days, so, like, I was extra sensitive. And I said, just stop where you are right now. You are playing the victim. Do you want to be the victim? Do you want to be the victim on your birthday? And I was like, no, I don't. I don't want to be the victim today. And then it was like, okay, and you're also being perpetrator to Eric. Do you want to be perpetrator? Do Is there cheese at the end of this tunnel? And I was like, no, I don't want to be perpetrator either. And I was like, okay, so just observe this as it is objectively without throwing in the victim and the perpetrator stories. So I just like look at the chips and I was like, okay, there are crumbs in a room. I don't want the crumbs in the room. And I cleaned them up and I threw them in the trash. And then I very calmly went back to the bedroom and I laid down. And when my husband woke up, I said, you know, he brought me breakfast in bed. It was very sweet, my birthday. And then I said to him, hey, babe, can I make a request? He said, sure. I said, will you promise me never to eat Doritos in a bedroom the night before a guest come when you know I've cleaned it. And he's like, the, like the look of horror was in his eyes. <laughs> I can only imagine. Because I didn't say chips or food. I said Doritos. Like it was very clear, like he must have left, he must have left evidence behind for me to pinpoint exactly what he ate. And the look of horror in his eyes. And he was like, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. I will never do that again. I am sorry. Please forgive me. And I'm like, it's fine. And then we carried it on our morning. And the reason why this was so impactful was because I took a situation where I would normally, it could have blown into a fight. I could have made him super defensive. And the thing about my husband, he will never pick a fight with me. He will never, he will never pick a fight with me, but he will fight with me to defend himself. Yeah. And if I come up out, with, out at him with perpetrator energy, he will throw it right back on me. I've just learned after 10 years of marriage, if I perpetrate him, he will perpetrate me right back. So I was able to convey my message and get the results I wanted without drama. Like, I didn't swallow my need to have no Doritos in the bedroom. I didn't, I didn't swallow any need. I was just mature, and I handled it maturely, and I was able to see the love I have for him beyond his mistake, whereas usually I go into, like, villainizing mode. And I know it might sound really silly, and for anyone who's never had a roommate or a husband or a wife or a spouse or whatever, you might think that this story is very insignificant. But if you can pinpoint something, some trigger in your world that you normally sets you off on a domino yeah, cascading. Cascade yeah. of anger, perpetration, victimization, and all that stuff yeah. to like stop it in its tracks and just observe it, accept it, let it go. It was it was huge for me. So that was kind of like him and I never discussed it later, but I kept just being like, 
pat on the back, Anna. Big win. Big win, <laughs> Anna. You, you did it, Anna. Good you did you. it. You didn't go down your normal neurological pathway of victimization, perpetrator, resentment, boo-hoo, Anna does all the cleaning, which isn't even true, by the way. I mean, that isn't was that the best birthday present ever? <gasps> it was. <laughs> high five. <laughs> high five. We can high five. It's so exciting. We're together. We're actually in person. We didn't mention that. Oh, did we? We kind of did. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, it was, that was my birthday gift to myself. Yeah. That's a huge birthday gift. Good job. Yeah. So thank you to you because you're the one who introduced me to drama triangle stuff in the first place. Yeah. Anyways. So that's kind of where I am on the drama triangle. I've evolved. I am now enlightened. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Please, can I drink some of whatever you're drinking right now? Would you like my water? It is as blessed as the Ganges River. Um, no. Um, that's where I am, and it feels really good, and I might not always be here. <laughs> I, might, I might relapse. Every recovery has relapse. Is that the same thing? I don't know, but it definitely feels like it's true. I, yeah, that's I think where for I everyone felt. in recovery, there will always be a relapse or a temptation to relapse. So I'm still, you know, just accepting my drama triangle ways. Hi, Christina, co-host of This Spiritual Fix. Has listening to our podcast stirred up something for you with the primal wounds? The good news is, is you have access, and that is the first step to transforming these wounds. We created support packages to help you through this process, and they're available on our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com. These packages were designed by Anna and I, combining techniques and hacks from our own experience working through our own wounds. Each packet contains a workbook and two meditations, one about forgiving those who have wounded you, including yourself, and one about reprogramming old beliefs. You can buy an individual support package or for those next level processors, all five packets, abandonment, injustice, rejection, betrayal, and humiliation. Available on our website in our shop. And yeah. Yeah, so my trick with the drama triangle has been, it, I, I've actually found that it's a bit like the wounds. So when I went through the wounds last year, I was like, I would sit around and I would sit around in injustice first. So and I went into injustice first and then I was in injustice for a really long time because I didn't really know what I was doing at that point. Like I didn't know how to kind of travel through the wound to get to the next wound because I didn't really even know I was trying to get to the next wound. But Anna was kind of clipping. She was running out of clip going through the wounds last year, like when we did it. And what does that even mean? Uh, running a clip means like you were going real fast. Like you were just like, you were like, oh, I got it. I got it. I'm on to the next one. Like, and it's whatever one's coming up. And I was like, oh shit, I'm still stuck in injustice. And I probably had a moment of being like, I oh, I should catch I up. I think it's because I spent 15 years in abandonment. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's, I mean, I spent a long time in injustice. Kidding, so yeah. I totally get that. Um, I felt like when I was doing the wounds that... I kind of, it was amazing how the world just kind of popped up when I was ready, when I had, the other one had gone, like the original wound that I was in had gone quiet, or I felt like I had learned, I'd had my insight, I'd had my epiphany, and I was like, kind of like, okay, cool, I'm here. Then it would just like dump me straight into the next one, right? Um, I, I kind of think of it as like a series of waterfalls and pools, is that like, you're at the top of the waterfall and to do your shadow work, you kind of have to keep going down this cascade of, of waterfalls and there's like a pool and you can swim around in the pool at the bottom of whatever waterfall you want forever, or you can follow the current and just keep going down into less and less and less and like process, process, process. And the reason I bring this up is because with the drama triangle, I started in probably angry victim and perpetrator. I entered it 
from this perspective of wanting revenge, which is very angry victim, as well as being the perpetrator and like wanting to recognize why I got so angry all the time. Like first I wanted to attribute it to rejection, um, dysmorphia syndrome, um, dysmorphic syndrome, which is an ADHD thing, which it could possibly be. And then I wanted to do, you know, I did my RTT, which was amazing and really helped me to recognize and like rapid transformation therapy. Yes. For thank anyone you. Rapid, who missed that episode. Rapid, rapid transformation therapy, which was a technique of hypnosis that kind of tries to get to the root of whatever, is the cause of your kind of discontent. Um, and I think that I started there and just like the wounds, it's kind of just been this merry-go-round in which, not merry, I won't even say it's merry-go-round. It's a series of waterfalls and I have dumb, been dumped straight into the rescuer waterfall. And I am recognizing how much I rescue and it is next level rescuing. It is like, I'm not trying to say I'm like the supreme rescuer, but I'm trying to say that the things, the amount of self-abuse that I do to myself in order to make other people feel comfortable when that is not, it's just my perception that I'm trying to make them feel comfortable. Like they don't actually feel more comfortable for what I'm doing, which is what I'm realizing has been really, really difficult for me. Can you give some me. examples? Yeah. So like saying I'm sorry for something that I have created in my own head. Like I, I create my own, and I've mentioned this in the past, but I do this so much, is that I say something that I feel I'm worried has made somebody upset, and then I get this emotional um, uh, impermanence. What is it called? God, why can't I remember? Emotional lack of emotional permanence. Lack of emotional permanence, and Can if I say something, that? yeah, lack of emotional. Why don't you define it? You're the one who did the TikTok. Oh. <laughs> So emotional permanence is, so first we'll start with object permanence, which is like, if I hide this cup, you know it still exists. And mm -hmm. there's studies saying that this begins in infants at age eight months. There's other studies that are more recent showing that it begins at age four to seven months in infants, that basically if an object is present and it disappears, you know that it needs to come back. Like, you know that object doesn't cease to exist just because it's out of view. Right, that's why peekaboo works, because a, kid, uh, a child who doesn't see a face doesn't recognize that the they're surprised when the face comes back because they don't have object permanence yet. Right. Yeah. Or you're just making a funny face. I think they that do too. have object permanence from day one. That's my own theory that I okay. can't, that I, that is not scientifically reinforced. I think children are born brilliant, but anyways, um, then you have emotional permanence, which is the same idea, which is that just because an emotion, it, it, uh, the feelings for someone is not right in front of you. It doesn't exist. And the example we give is like the good morning text. Like if your boyfriend or girlfriend or partner is not, you know, not around, you don't live together and they don't send you a, a text in the morning saying good morning or I love you. You think you don't exist anymore to them or that they no longer have feelings for you simply because you didn't get that daily dose of emotional permanence. So lack of emotional permanence means you think that if you're not seeing someone or hearing them or feeling them love you, they cease to have loved you. Right. So thank you for that background. So I have a situation where I say something that I feel is too direct or I feel like somebody might be upset by it. I say that thing and then I either don't hear anything back for them from them for however long. And so that's when the emotional per and like it, lack of emotional permanence comes into it because I've said something so I automatically assume that they are angry at me and that they are upset. And then they could just be busy. There could be, you know, this, this goes back to don't take anything personally. Like it could be that. So then there's this whole period in which 
I think that they're angry at me. I don't think that they don't care about me. I think that they're angry at me when right. I don't hear I, from I them. I infer, I would infer in my abandonment stages, not now, that they have forgotten me and they don't love me anymore. Right. And I would infer in my rejection that they've rejected me. Right. Right. So it's, I love how we just paint the world <laughs> with, with all the of colors our, of our wounds. <laughs> they paint the world with the colors. So, so my rejection assumes that I have been rejected because I have done something wrong by being so direct. And so then I create this entire story in my head and then I go back and then I try and make up for it and I and I kind of create, I then try and make up and say I'm sorry. I don't even say I'm sorry. I just try and like, hey, like I over compliment. I did it to you the other day. I don't know if you know this, this but what happened was that um, Anna and I were talking about something and you were having the viral TikTok. And so we were going up on the charts and I felt like, I hadn't done a good enough job of thanking you for making the TikTok that then made it go. This is this is how crazy. This is my next level. This is my next. And I was looking at me like, what the fuck? I thought I'm just doing my assigned role over here. Right. My assigned role is marketing and your assigned role is editing. Right. Right. So and we do a little overlap, obviously. Yeah. So it's just interesting because I thought that I hadn't thanked her enough. And then. I created a Facebook page. I don't know. Th that Facebook post that I put up. Oh, yeah. She made a Facebook post thanking me for making a TikTok that got, went viral and set us up in the number two charts. Yeah. And that was the end result of my rescue, of my feeling the need and to rescue. And I texted her. I said, you can take that down. Yeah. What did I say? Yeah. You said, you don't have to do that. You can take that down. Like, that's just my job. Or Like, for you, it wasn't a thing. But for me, I had literally gone through this entire drama triangle within my... Did of, you take it down? I did. Okay. I did. But um, <laughs> I went through this entire self-abuse cycle because I thought I wasn't thanking you enough for doing it. And that's funny because I didn't feel like I ever needed thanks because I was just doing my job. Right. So that's next. That is my version of next level rescuing that I am literally in the process. Did you of think I was rejecting you because you hadn't thanked me? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. I, it's hilarious, right? It's hilarious. Yeah. And, and I think it's hilarious now. But at the time I was like, oh, my God, I have to do this or else she's going to hate me. That's hilarious. Yeah. So you can see how insane it makes you feel inside your head. And then it's like when you constantly feel like you're a threat of being rejected. Right. Then you're always just creating noise and churn in your life and doing things that are completely unnecessary. Like, I mean, and maybe it's not completely unnecessary, but like I always default to think that I am done have I have done something wrong right. like I literally that is always where I go so I'm always right next to that is my rescuer who's like oh well you now have to make up for it how are the crazy ways that you can make up for it how has the RT okay obviously insight is how you're dealing with it noticing the pattern yes. but then has the RTT helped I've been listening to it again I stopped listening to it for so a while just for reference after the therapy the RTT the practitioner gives you a 21 day hypnosis track to listen to for 21 days yeah yeah um, so I started listening to it again to help, which has helped, but I also think that there's another level of this in the sense that my RTT track was all about you're lovable. You, um, it was a lot about being feminine and it was a lot about like, how do you kind of come into the world As in that way? As you said way. that, a butterfly, when you said the word feminine, a butterfly, a butterfly just swooped right over your head. Yeah, that's awesome. But I think the next level of this is, um, the lesson that I had literally 20 minutes before we started uh, and I had to go and put my feet in the lake because I was having trouble was that like there's no such thing as doing things right is like the next insight that's coming for me right because like 
I think that there's a way of doing things right, and this is kind of goes into the perfectionist I talk and about a lot about wound. like the injustice wound, and that there's a way of doing things right, and that if you can do things right, you'll be rewarded. Not only will you be rewarded, but people won't reject you, and that's the reward for me is that I won't be rejected if I do things right. So anything, anytime that like my ADHD comes into it, which comes into it a lot. So like the whole thing with the recording this morning, we didn't have the right mics and mic setups and things weren't working and things like that. And I was just like, I kept being like, I didn't do it right. And then like, I was like, even when I did find a solution that thought, that worked, it then didn't work. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm I'm doing all the steps, like I'm making up for not having done a good job earlier, and I'm, I, and it was just like I was getting into this total cycle of self-abuse because I felt like I failed and that I hadn't done it right, and I didn't know, I felt completely impotent to be able to then do something that made up for it. So you were doing inner, inner drama triangle where you were playing not only the victim but the perpetrator. You were telling yourself the fates are punishing you because you did it wrong, you're wrong. Yeah, because I didn't think about it enough beforehand. I continually perpetrate my yesterday self. Really? I hate my yesterday self. My past self is always wrong because if I have trouble today, it's because somebody, because she didn't do it right. Oh, that's funny, I love my past self. Do you? Uh-huh, I will literally, I will like, clean the kitchen at night and I'll say this is a gift from past Anna to future Anna and then when I wake up in the morning and I see that the kitchen's clean I'm like god I love yesterday Anna look what she left look at this gift she left for me oh, and and for me I don't know what it is if it's ADHD or if it's procrastinating because of ADHD because of lack of executive or function persecutor. or a persecutor like a, a system of that I literally hate my past self I I and for me, because because no, I would have no I would have no drama today, and I would have no I wouldn't have to react today if I had done everything right yesterday. Oh wow! I have about three or four humiliating or embarrassing moments that like sometimes I'll revisit in my mind, and I'm like, Ugh, why did I say that? You know, like telling a very inappropriate sexual joke in public or in the wrong setting or something. I'm just like, why did I do that? And all the people there probably have already long forgotten it. But there's like two or three memories that I like constantly replay if I ever want to give myself a dose of whatever chemical I need that comes from humiliation. <laughs> I do that one. But otherwise, I maybe we need to do an exercise today, like a meditation where you can put yourself, we can put you in a, like an alpha state and we can visit the Christina of yesterday. And maybe you need to love her and hug her and thank her and forgive her. And, yeah. And yeah. then you need to love and forgive you the Christina of today who's persecuting her because what I've come to recognize is it's not just when you're doing this deep shadow work you don't just ever forgive and love the victim you need to forgive and love the perpetrator yeah. and the forgive and love the rescuer and that was a huge way that I got rid of intrusive thoughts was I was working with this book I had read on cognitive behavioral therapy where we, when intrusive thoughts came up you know, I was trying to accept and love that victim me who was like, poor me, I think I left the house on fire or I left yeah. the curling iron on and the house is going to go on fire. And then I realized I needed to not only love the perpetrating me, which was, um, Anna, fuck you, I think you left the, the curling iron on. I also had to love the part of me that didn't love those two parts of me. Like, yeah. Like like that one is often forgotten. Like we often can love the victim and we can also often even shift it as we do more shadow work into loving the perpetrator. But then you can go a step beyond and love this, the person observing this, the witness, 
who is having difficulty observing the perpetrator in us or the victim in us. It's, it's usually a lot easier for us to have compassion for the victim because the victim is the poor me, but like we need to also look at the perpetrator in us and love it, but we also need to look at the part of us that has disdain for that perpetrator. Yeah. Like maybe the issue here isn't you forgive the perpetrator in you. Maybe the issue is you forgive the witness who has issues with the perpetrator in you. Yeah, yeah. I think that, and I think it's also, it really comes back to, I, I, I said, I, I had to take a moment and be like, I don't know what the solution is, like how can I make this mic work sort of thing, and went down to the water. And I was just sitting there, and I was looking at the water, and I was like, I had to calm down. I knew I had to calm down my nervous system because my nervous system was just like a vice. What's and your mind? Uh, a vice <laughs> that's me with my house building analogies a vice is like a, a vice grip like it's like you literally like it's a tool that um, you set it to the right diameter and then you click it and oh. then like nothing can undo it oh okay. right um, like it's just it's a very tight grip yeah. for those of us who don't build houses <laughs> um, but I think I think the lesson comes back to the first episode of the season which is we are not the doer of action like there's nothing you can do right because there's nothing to do. We are not the doing, we are being done. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to because I can see the drama triangle perpetuating itself ad nauseum in my own life if I don't think that there's a right way that I can never live up to, right? Like if I think that there's this right way that means that I get to avoid all drama, that I get to avoid all whatever, if I think that there, if I do it this way, then everything's going to be fucking fine and I don't have to have any interaction and I nobody has to say you're wrong and nobody has to reject me. I'm rejection proof, not because I believe I'm rejection proof, but because I've done so much bullshit in order to become rejection proof. I think it's kind of like, um, you know, Osho has this koan. You know what a koan is? A koan is a uh, riddle. Like a koan, the riddle that can't yeah. be solved. Yeah. There's a riddle in, like, um, and I think it's Zen... Buddhism. Zen Buddhism has it too, yep. Yeah, is there's like a thing called a koan, and it's a riddle, and when you figure it out, you get enlightened or something. That's like what they say. So there's a koan, and, and, and Osho tells the story of one. It's called, there's a goose in the bottle. How do you get the goose out of the bottle without breaking the glass? And the answer is, there is no goose. So I feel like in this situation, it's similar. It's like, you think that by doing X, Y, and Z, you will then be happy and you think it's all these things outside of you that will then make you happy, but yep. actually it's your mental state. Yep, yep. And this is this. There is no goose. There is no action. This is exactly so. The Matrix spoon. I'm gonna look this up. The Matrix spoon, young monk. Do not try and bend the spoon. That's impossible. Instead, only try to realize the truth. And Neo says, "What truth? There is no spoon." Right. Right. There is no action. There is no action. And. And by getting involved in the drama triangle of, of trying to think that there are things and steps that I can do to avoid pain. If you think there are things you can do to make you happy. Yeah, or avoid pain, which is where I am. I, I, I don't even try thing. to Two go for happy. I go yeah. for... <laughs> same side of the... Yes, there's it's nothing you can do. There is no action. There is no goose. There is no spoon. Yeah, there is no goose. There is no spoon. And there's nothing to be done right. There is no right. There's no, there's no state in the world of things that you feel as if you're doing that is going to make it so that you don't have to experience the world. And, yeah. it's, and it's suffering. Like right. There's nothing to do to avoid suffering other than change your own mind about suffering. 
Yeah. Like I had a vision of Ram Das, that spiritual teacher yeah. who died. I don't know when he died, but he's been visiting me and I love it. We were in Target yesterday and he was telling me that, you know, you think that these monks that live in monasteries and visiting these gurus in India or, or whatever, their life is all set up for them to get enlightened, right? They have like hours and hours a day they can de devote to sitting on a mat and meditating and their whole life is wound up in getting enlightened and they have all the support. He's like, you can get enlightened just walking through Target because it's all here. It's all now. Like no matter where you go, no matter where you are, it's just life happening. It's like, it doesn't matter if you are a monk. It doesn't matter if I'm a mom shopping in Target. Life is coming at us all the time with whatever we want to color it with and label it. And our own enlightenment, our own salvation comes from within. It's our own waking up. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's the same thing. It's like, it doesn't matter if you do the right or the wrong thing. It doesn't matter if you're in a, in a cave in Tibet meditating. It doesn't matter if you're picking out toothbrushes for your kids in Target. Like, none of it matters. It's all, it's the goose and the spoon that don't exist. That what matters is you waking up unto yourself. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's, that's where I am with the lesson. I'm there. And then I'm also, I, I wanted to bring this up because this is, this is, I feel like, I think it could be more relevant for, um, for, for like in the patriarchy conversation for, for people who identify as female but at the same time, it, I think that that's not necessarily true. I think that, that it could be a cultural thing. It could be whatever. My point being, speaking directly for your needs is something that has been very difficult for me to find the right tone with, right? And, and As maybe, a woman in a patriarchal world. Exactly. And right tone, again, speaks to there is something that I can do that's right that makes it so that I can avoid hurting people's feelings, but I can also be direct. I get that. Like, I get that the bigger lesson is the first thing we just talked about. But I also kind of want to bring this up because this week at work, what's happened with the, dra what's happened with the drama triangle is that, um, is that I, my behavior has been changing completely uncontrolled by me, if that makes sense. Like, like in a good way, because I'm getting, it's like I'm, I'm taking off these shackles and as a result... I'm saying things in a different way. Like, it's like, it's like, it's, it's interesting. It's almost like I, the work has gone so deep into my subconscious that it's now bubbling up into my conscious in a way that I'm not controlling anymore in a good way, I think. But what's happening is that I'm still, obviously I still some have, have some of the fetters of like really next level rescuing, but I also recognize that one of the main antidotes to the drama triangle is asking directly for your needs. So at work this week, I was not trying to make anyone feel comfortable, which is normally what I do. And I know a lot of people who identify as female do as well in work situations is they're constantly saying either I'm sorry for having an opinion or trying to mitigate whatever they're saying in whatever way. They're trying to lessen the impact of saying a direct statement about how they feel, right? And it's only in conversations with my peers who are female that we can have super direct conversations that if anyone listens in on, they're like, oh my God, you guys are fighting. And we're like, no, we're just being really intense with how we believe in these things, but we're not taking it personally. Like it's, it's a, it's almost like a closed door, female, female, female colleague experience in which, you know, we're the leaders of our company and we're able to get in a room and just be like, this is where it is. But if a man was present to this, they would probably say we were catfighting. 
you know what I mean? Or they mm -hmm. were, we were being catty or we were being bossy or there would be so many, there's all this language that would come into this that would say, this is the way that y'all are not at behaving that you should, the way you should in a professional situation. And so it was interesting this week because that happened and, and a, a colleague and I were in a conversation and then we had a, a man witnessing it and I could, and this guy is always a very diplomatic guy anyway, but you could tell that he was kind of trying to lessen the blow and in some ways, him being there made it so that I started reflecting back and being like, oh, I shouldn't be so direct. You know, I shouldn't be so direct about what I'm saying right now because he's here to witness it. And I don't want him to think that, like, me and this other You're woman a bad are... woman. Yeah. Well, I don't want him to think that, that we're mad at each other or anything like that. So there's a cultural piece of this. There's a professional piece of this. There's a whole thing in which, you know, us directly speaking our needs may be awkward at first as we find the language for how to do it, you know, as we find the language for, for how to directly say what we mean and mean what we say and not try and say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean this, or I'm so sorry for having an opinion, but I really think that this is a bad idea. Like not say any of that language that lessens the impact of our opinion or lessens the impact of what we're saying. So I'm kind of conflating this a little bit with like, women's empowerment in the workplace, but I think that it, I think that women traditionally take on a rescuer role and they want to rescue people from their strong opinions. And themselves from taking up space. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been kind of one of the subconscious or thing that's bubbling up into the consciousness of my behavior that I'm finding a little disconcerting. Mm -hmm. It's a little scary for me because I usually like to make people feel as comfortable as possible. Mm -hmm. And never feel uncomfortable, and and uh, my my classic, and you guys might, some people might recognize this. My classic is okay. I'll take that away, which is a good practice. It can be a good. Pr I'll take that away and do some research, right? So that it's like instead of avoiding the confrontation of saying I don't agree with you, claiming that you then have to do more work or more research in order to like come back to the situation. So. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, it's been an interesting experience for me this week, for sure, these I, last couple of weeks. One thing about our podcast that I love and what we, people tell us is that we take deep concepts and then we kind of stick it through the pasta roller and, and out comes the pasta that's digestible kind of thing. Like, mm -hmm. like I think we can make these very esoteric and strong concepts uh, digestible and understandable. So I'm putting it out here. If someone has been following in the drama triangle, what are your five tips to coming out, of, coming out of it or being detached to it? Like, what have you learned the last month or two about the drama triangle that you would say are the top five ways of, yeah, of, 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 I don't know if coming out of it is the word, but accepting it, making it muted. All right. So the first is the absolute what what is what I said before is that what is actually the thing that addresses the drama triangle and kind of diffuses it and makes it so that it does not it just has holds no bearing is asking directly for your needs and not being surreptitious about it not being secretive about it not being passive aggressive about it not being anything like that is asking directly for your needs so that is the first step and then the second step that follows very quickly after that is is before you go directing your needs always make sure that you're acting and not reacting, right? And the difference being that reaction is usually always going to be the perpetrator or the victim or the angry victim, or um, which is a special subset of the victim. 
or the rescuer. Mm -hmm. Like if you're reacting, you're likely going to be into one of those things because you have emotion tied up in what you're saying. And I'm not saying that people are going to be emotionless, but I'm saying that take a beat and, and see that you're acting to act directly for your needs, right? Like take five beats, take 10 minutes, take an hour or two and just be like, I am totally caught up in the drama of the moment. And if I can remove myself from this, then I'm going to be able to, to act in a way and not that, that is not a reaction. It reminds me kind of like Albert Einstein was being interviewed about how his marriage had been so long and successful and like what was his secret tips to marriage. And he said, well, when we got married, my wife and I decided that she came up with this, which was she was going to be in charge of making all the small decisions and I was going to be in charge of making all the large decisions. And after 55 years, I'm making the number up, I don't remember, after X amount of years of marriage, believe it or not, there was never a big decision to be made. It was all small decisions. And the, what the beautiful thing of that is all of our reactions are actually small. If you're having a big reaction, it's most likely because you haven't dealt with all the small stuff. Right. If you address <laughs> the small stuff as it comes up, there will probably never be a big reaction. You know, and so if you're having a big reaction, that's a huge sign, too, that you're actually reacting and not act acting because it's colored. It's like, what were you saying? You're having a 50 cent response for a 10 cent problem. problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if you're having a big reaction, most likely it's because you haven't addressed the smaller things up front yeah. or you're coloring it with a wound from the past. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that would then be the third, I would say. I, I may have stolen yours. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's fine. <laughs> but uh, is is you have to pay yourself continually. Okay. Like you have to pay yourself continually. You have to, you cannot, you cannot stifle yourself in order to keep the peace. Like it will, because it will never end up in peace, right? Like if you have that reaction, you need to address it, right? So like if you're having a reaction to something that's really strong and you're going straight into the drama triangle, keep those beats, like take those beats and be like, oh, I need to do this. And then feed yourself in whatever is necessary. Whether that means that you need to meditate, tell yourself you love yourself a lot, or directly address the person in an acting way and not a reacting way. Yeah, like way. I did with the Dorito chips. Instead of being like, are you a fucking pig? Why would you do this? I was like, hey, babe, I have a request for you. Right. But if, if Anna had had 10 Dorito chips, she would have had a, she could have had an 100 Dorito chip reaction. response. <laughs> reaction. So by dealing with the Dorito chips in that moment... Or not in that moment. We're never going to get a Dorito sponsorship now. <laughs> <laughs> Despite the fact that we've said it like a million times. Um, but, but by dealing with the Dorito chips, it made it so that the tea towel or the messy kitchen or whatever didn't have this massive response. You have to address the things as that they are arise. as they arise, as they are stuck in your system because they won't go away. They're just going to clog up. It's going to be a dam and it will burst. Yeah. And it will probably burst on the person you've been rescuing, as right. I've come to realize. Yeah, that's exactly it. It comes it comes out on the person who you're rescuing and then you become the persecutor and and you've just been setting yourself up. You've literally just been like cranking back the catapult so that you can just release it and just like destroy the other person and they don't even know what's happening. They're like, right? They're, they're just completely fucking blindsided yeah. by it. How so, many times in the history of all my boyfriends have I heard this sentence? I feel blindsided. <laughs> well, and so that's and that's so that's what I mean by pay yourself is that like it's probably not the best way to say it, but but deal with it as it arises. I like that better. Like come up as your stuff comes up, deal with it as it arises. Don't don't create a whole laundry list of things because people won't be able to handle it. it it'll be out of context. It'll be in a place yeah. that it's in and 
it'll just be a different form of perpetuating. It's kind of like what we talked about in that soulmate episode in season one, where we'd have a soul a soulmate contract with your partner, and you're like, I will not bring up issues that are more than 24 hours old. Yeah. Like if it's over 24 hours old, you gotta just let it go because it's not fair to your partner to bring up a, a list of shit that has been going on for months or weeks or whatever years. Yep. Yep. Okay. So number four for me is. Uh, making sure that you are addressing, if you are like me, if any of the things that I said today are feel similar to you, is that you are addressing not just the external dra- drama triangle, but the in- inner drama triangle as well. Because I've described on here today about the form of self-abuse and self-neglect and basically how I perpetuate creating stories in my head and validating them with everything that I'm doing and the other person has no idea that they're going on but I am suffering more and more and more I'm causing my own suffering because I am not addressing the fact that I am perpetuating the drama triangle within my own thoughts and so deal with your inner drama triangle if that's the case and that leads to the fifth one the, the best way to deal with the inner drama triangle is to for one thing recognize it right become increasingly aware of it and then to you know you're going to have insights like I had today about like you can never do anything right but ultimately it's all about self-love like I have to love myself even if I don't do things right Mm -hmm. you know and and so self-love is by far the best antidote to all of this is to say that no matter what I do no matter what I destroy in the process of doing this that I still love myself I'm still worthy of love but I am worthy of my own love Mm -hmm. what about you? I'm going to add just two more to yours, yeah. and then we'll put all seven in the show notes. Okay. Um, the, the sixth thing that I will add to this is I would ask yourself, when you do get your trigger response and you do get heated, just at, just do what I kind of did with the Doritos. It really helped. And just ask yourself, like, am I playing the victim? Is there anything that I'm going to get out of being the victim? Does the, is there cheese at the end of this tunnel? Okay, if I'm being perpetrator, do I want to be perpetrator? Maybe it's not your birthday, but, like, it's a Tuesday. Do I want to be a perpetrator on a Tuesday? Do I really want to... Make my whole Tuesday about being a perpetrator. Just kind of ask yourself, is this what you really want? Because my, my guess is you want a solution. You don't want the drama. Yeah. So focus on the solution you want and not the story. So I would say that for number six. Wonderful. Number seven, I would say forgiveness is like the biggest lesson. Like a take, like we keep saying in almost all our episodes, we are on this planet. It is a forgiveness factory. We are here to get realized and enlightened. And to do that, it is to recognize the perfection in all, which is basically to be humble and forgive it all. And I think that as you move through this work, keep forgiving your wounds, keep forgiving the different members of the drama triangle, your perpetra- the perpetrator version of you, the victim version of you, the rescue version of you. Forgive them and then also forgive the witness. Forgive the witness who is scrutinizingly watching this being like, well, there she goes again, drama triangle, bitch. Forgive the part of you that needs to judge this too. Like mm-hmm. all parts need to be loved and forgiven. So we'll put those in the show notes and hopefully that's applicable. Yeah, yeah. So that is going to wrap this um, fifth and unexpected uh, thing on the drama triangle. But I think that, I think it was a really great idea, Anna, to have it because I think, and thank you, Archangel Michael. Yeah, thanks, for, Archangel Michael. For, <laughs> for creating technology. Like I literally <laughs> saw him standing there like, like a policeman stopping traffic being like, stop. Stop. This is not the episode you're going to record right now. So we did listen. Thank you. We did listen and we did record what he asked. So here we are and we hope you liked it. If you did like it, please write us a review or rating on Apple iTunes. You go down to reviews and then you click see all and then there's a button that says write a review. If you do that, 
it will help propel us. We were, we, we're rubbing elbows with some amazing podcasts, Hay House, Sad Guru, Abraham Hicks, uh, Sahara Rose. We're up there and we are shocked and your rating and review will keep us in the ranks of some amazing people. Yeah, no, we really appreciate all the support that everyone's given us and we hope that we hope that we continue to do all the stuff. We love to hear your feedback as well. So please, you can go on our website, uh, thespiritualfix.com, and you can send us a message. We've been getting a lot of messages from people, which is really amazing, that are telling us that we're helping them. So, yeah. yeah. I think that's too many acts of calls to action. <laughs> well, fine. I can't do anything right. She can't do anything. She always throws in Fuck multiple that. calls of action, and I'm like, it's one call of action. That is because I am ADHD, and I literally cannot even know. I actually don't have a reason for it, but I think it has something to do with that, because for me, I'm like, oh, but if I was doing no, no, that, no. then I would Don't email us. Write us a review. Here. Don't email us. <laughs> All right. Thanks, y'all. Just kidding. Bye. Hi, everyone. Chris Wilty again. Listening back to this episode, Reflections on the Drama Triangle, I am honestly struck by how much I have learned since this was recorded. I think that the, the salient points of this episode are actually great, but if I were to add a couple of thoughts, it would be this. The first is that it is a privilege to be able to think that you can transcend drama triangles completely. And I'm not just talking about because 70% of the world operates in this dynamic of the abuser, you know, the persecutor, the victim, and the rescuer. It is an incredibly privileged position that I think that I am able to transcend that in any way, shape, or form because the number of systemic drama triangles that exist, particularly in the United States, but all over the world, and the intersectionality of those different drama triangles, whether it's sexism, racism, ableism, whatever you want to say, are all things that it is incredibly difficult, if not impossible for most people to transcend. So I sit here in a privileged position where I'm able to recognize that I am actually the persecutor, even if I'm not the active persecutor, I am the passive persecutor of an entire group of people who, doesn't, who isn't like me because I am in a privileged position or, you know, who doesn't look like me or who has a different race than me or different able, you know, different socioeconomic status or different what, sexual orientation. I am in a privileged position where I am a cis white woman who is relatively affluent. And that being the case means that I don't, I am actually sitting as the persecutor of so many different drama triangles. And so really it's all well and good to be in that the, that position, but it also leads to things like, for instance, white fragility. Right, fragility is the perfect example of basically someone who has sat in a very comfortable persecutor position for a very long time, and then as soon as anything goes wrong or as soon as they want to get what they want, they basically then fall into the victim, and they are automatically in a position where they can basically do and manipulate a situation because they are taking the the coveted role of the victim. And, you know, as they say, white woman's tears can, I mean, who's going to believe white woman's tears, right? After the history that people have had for so long in America, particularly using racism as the example, but it can be applied universally. Whoever takes that vaulted victim position can get what they want, especially if they have privilege added to it. So that's the first point here is that 
it's really easy to try and think that you can transcend drama triangles when you're sitting there as the silent persecutor of a number of gr different groups. And I've come to understand that and I feel like it is irresponsible of me to not include that in any further conversations that we have. The other point that I have, which is related to this, is this idea of the drama triangle as it relates to racism and my position, again, as a, as a white woman living in America in the South. And, you know, at first I was confused about what my role was because I think I, like as I was saying, am, am the silent persecutor of an entire group of people, but I got to do something. So what am I going to do? Okay, I can't go into the victim because that's that's white fragility. Like that's 100%. And I also can't go into the rescuer because that's the white savior. So it's like you're either the white supremacist or all of them are the white supremacists, but in the drama triangle you're either the white supremacist, you're the white savior, you're you're you know, you have white fragility, right? That's the drama triangle translated into the language of of racism and white supremacy in America. And I have to say I finally get it when I look at it through the context of the, the, the evolution of the drama triangle, right? So the evolution of the victim, persecutor, and rescuer is that you then go into the coach, which is the better rescuer. You then go into the challenger, which is the better um, abuser. And then you go into the creator, which is the better victim. And the thing is, is that where we fall short, I think, in, in or at least people who are striving to be allies, um, in this conversation fall, can, can fall short is when they expect other people to be the coach or they expect other people, particularly if those other people are from the marginalized community, to be the challenger or they expect other people to, to be the creators of the information so that you can, you can uh, elevate yourself out of this drama triangle. But the trick is, I think, and, and I'm still learning this all the time, is that you have to, to coach yourself. You have to, you have to basically look and see how can I educate myself? It is my job to coach myself and not to rescue, but to actually coach myself of how I can actually be the best ally. Or how do I challenge myself and be like, actually, yes, you were racist in this case, or there's white supremacy in this case. Those are really important conversations to have. And then ultimately being the creator of situations in which you are elevating and bringing people of color's voice to the front of everything, I think is our role in this. When we expect other people to do the work, to elevate us out of the drama triangle, then again, you fall into, a, this. you're expecting somebody to rescue you. So, you know, when it comes to this, I, I think the drama triangle is such a good way of explaining this, at least for me, I would love to hear anybody's thoughts about if it otherwise and help me evolve this as I coach myself. So, the final reflection here is to make this a little bit more universal, right? I'm obviously describing it as my experience of being a cis hetero white woman in the South of the United States. But these drama triangles, these systemic drama triangles exist everywhere, all over the world. You know, whether you live in Latin America and you have fair skin privilege, whether or not you live in the Middle East or in India and you're in a different social caste, these drama triangles exist everywhere. There are systemic drama triangles that exist everywhere. And part of the work as we do more spiritual work on ourselves is to recognize our impact on the community and recognize and gain awareness of the role that we play in these greater triangles and then apply the same things we've learned throughout this drama triangle series and make sure that 
we understand the context of our spiritual work within the greater community. We cannot remove ourselves from the community when we do this work because ultimately the need to be altruistic and understand your place in the community is really that greater spiritual work that we are aiming to do. We are aiming to do our shadow work so that we can show up in the world as the light that we are and not shaded by all of our traumas and experiences, right? That, that is ultimately because we live in a relational world. We live in a world in which we are seeking to have intimacy with other peoples and seeking to show our own and to look at other people's inner selves, right? Deep inner selves and to see the truth in every person. And if we're participating in these drama triangles, it stops us from being able to do that. So yes, you can do your deep work to transform your interpersonal and internal drama triangles, the things that happen in your family, the things that happen inside of you. And then when you look at the community, maybe we can't just come out of these larger drama triangles, but it is our job to elevate ourselves out of them as much as possible and to do the work that we can do and to gain our awareness of it so that we can actually start to do the work. Thanks everyone for joining us for this replay of the drama triangle with its updates. Please send us an email at this.spiritual.fix at gmail.com with any comments or questions. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it. And all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover. Hey, TSF family. So in case you weren't aware, all of you are healers. We are all healers in the way that we do the work on ourselves so that we can show up better in the world. And by doing that, we model and every single one of you is doing that. We are all healers. We are all spreading our light. We are all addressing our shadows. And I just want to first say, way to go. I also want to say, if you feel stuck, I'm here. I do intuitive readings. I do intuitive clearings. I help the healers heal. Healing is the practice of integration in which we recognize and accept all parts of us so that we can love all parts of us. The more we love all parts of us, the more that we can love and accept and heal others. So in perpetuity, all TSF family will receive a 15% discount on their first sessions or healing sessions with me. I'm so grateful for y'all and I hope to see you soon. Use the code TSF family, all one word for your discount.